All right, well, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 12. We've been studying the book of John on and off for a year now. And as Lee mentioned last week, chapter 12 brings to a close part one of John's gospel. Um, It is the, pardon me, part one is where we are introduced to Jesus coming in as the the light of the world, as we read earlier. It's where he carries out his public ministry to the crowds, to the the, the, uh, Jewish people, to the religious leaders. Um, This isn't the end of his teaching, but the focus after our passage today shifts to the final week of his life that is spent mostly with his disciples. Our passage today, starting in verse 44, is Jesus' final public plea in which he, in effect, sums up what he's been saying and doing in all previous 12 chapters. And as a result, I don't think you're going to hear anything that you haven't already heard in the preceding sermons in this series. Just a heads up. And actually, let me rephrase that. I don't think that I'm going to say anything that you haven't already heard. But it's possible that today will be the first time you actually hear it. The first time that it actually hits home with you. See, we believe the Bible to be the living word of God. It's not just a book. And any time we open ourselves up to interact with it, there's no telling what God might do through it. And that's our prayer every week here. And it's why we do this Open God's word every time, not just most of the time, every time. And it's totally worth rehashing something that you may have already heard. Look, worst case scenario, you hear something amazing about Jesus again, right? That's rough. But the best case scenario is you catch something important that you've missed. Because we do that, right? Probably not you as much as I do, but it does definitely happen. And Jesus had this in mind, right? He's been teaching the crowds, the religious leaders, and he knows he's about to be crucified, so he has one last plea to the crowds in hopes that someone who was missing something to this point would actually hear the words and be saved from the coming judgment. But as usual, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's take a look at our passage, John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. God, I just pray this morning that you would give us clarity, that you would take away the scales that are on our eyes that have blinded us to things, open up our ears to hear your words, to hear these warnings, to hear this good news, and to not miss it and go about our lives in darkness. We just pray in your name. Amen. Okay. Rhetorical question. You don't need to answer this. Did you hear anything new in that passage? Maybe you've not been a part of this study, or maybe you're new to church in general, and you've got absolutely no idea what it is that you just listened to, but those of you who are familiar with the message of Jesus, that should all have sounded pretty familiar. For anyone who isn't familiar, let me bring you up to speed. Our 
Study of the book of John started a year ago with these words, the ones that we read this morning together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing that was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So in the beginning, like the beginning, beginning, right, way back there, God was there, and so was the Word. And when John talks about the Word, he's referring to Jesus. So, Jesus was there in the beginning with God and was in fact one with God or was himself, as the passage says, he himself was God. And now that's a big concept that we don't really have time to fully (laughs) unpack this morning. But John's intent here is to establish that this Jesus who he's writing about isn't just a person who came on the scene, isn't just a rabbi who showed up and started teaching some radical new ideas. This was actually God's word. So the word, Jesus, was God and all things were created through him, by him and for him, and in him was life, as we read in our passage, and that life was the light of the world. So Jesus had come to bring light to a dark world. So continuing in John 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. So he came to the world that he created, to his chosen people, Israel, and they didn't really respond super well to his arrival. I mean, some did. And those people became children of God, right? Christians, people who were once in darkness but were now living in the light that Jesus brought into the world. And there's more on that to come, getting ahead of myself again. Continuing in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So Jesus came into the world, and those who saw him were exposed to his glory, his glory that came from God the Father, again, with whom he is one, because no one has seen God except for Jesus, who has seen the Father, is one with the Father. He came to earth to show us what he was like. And the chapters between what we've just read and our passage today contain the record of how Jesus went about showing us who God is and saying what God wanted him to say. And for more info on all of that, you can visit crossridge.church slash John and watch a year's worth of sermons. Today, as we just read In verse 44 of our passage, Jesus is crying out to the crowds one last time, a summary of all he's been saying with the hopes that those who haven't heard and those who have missed might get it before he goes to the cross. So what are those things? What does he want his listeners to catch? I'm glad you asked. First, he came to show us the Father. Look at verses 44 and 45. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Now, as with all the ideas we're going to be looking at today, all the things Jesus wants us to see, this isn't unique to this passage. It's a formula that you probably recognize. And if you do the math here, and some of you nerds are finally like, math, yes. If you do the word math here, believing in Jesus equals believing the one who sent him. 
And we know that the one who sent him equals God the Father. I should have had a whiteboard up here so I could write all this down for you. Additionally, seeing Jesus equals seeing the one who sent him. And again, we know the one who sent him is God the Father. So we know Jesus isn't saying here, you don't really believe in me. In the first 12 chapters of this gospel, Jesus talks about the importance of believing in him over 30 times. Because of Jesus' sentness, I know that's not a word, but his sentness, in the first 12 chapters, Jesus refers to being sent from God the Father also over 30 times. And because of this, because of from where or from whom he comes, belief in Jesus, seeing Jesus, is belief in and seeing God the Father. Now, not a surprise to many of you, I'm sure. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives who? Him who sent me. In Luke 9, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. They're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. John Chrysostom painted it this way. It is as though one should say, he that takes water from the river does not take it from the river, but the spring that supplies the river. I think that's a great image. In 2008, I was part of a short-term missions team that uh, went to Uganda. And on a day off, we traveled to the town of Jinja. Some of you have been there, where you find the source of the Nile River. Now, this is water that would wind its way through some of the most arid places on earth over 6,600 kilometers before emptying out into the Mediterranean. And standing in Uganda, Egypt seems impossibly far away. It's unreachable. It's unknowable. But if you visit the Nile in Egypt, you're seeing that which came through Jinja. And Jesus came and spent his time with and taught and ministered to, first and foremost, the people of Israel. They and their leaders had studied the scriptures. They knew about the Father. They worshipped him. Many of them loved him, but they hadn't seen him. And many of them had a flawed understanding of who he was. To many, he seemed distant, unknowable, unreachable. And Jesus came to show his people what the Father was really like. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Colossae, said this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that passage goes on to say that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. This is how he starts crying out to the people. This is the first thing. Why? Wasn't this obvious? Hadn't he said this already? The answer to that question, I'm going to ask that question a lot. Yes, he has said this already, but our entire passage today is a summary of some key points he wants us to remember. And apparently, people are terrible at remembering things. Skip ahead with me to John 14. Jesus is sharing a meal with his disciples, knowing he's about to be sentenced to death. He's using these precious final moments to teach his disciples and leave with them these important things. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known who? My father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And I love this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? It's like, Philip, I just said that. You were there. I told you this. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. This is the worst microphone in the world. Sorry, I get distracted by so many things. There are so many more things he says in this passage. But Jesus said he came to show us the Father and his glory. Next verse, he also came to be light in the darkness. Look at verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, not a new theme. In the first 12 chapters, Jesus was referred to or refers to himself as the light around 20 times. It's throughout scripture, this theme of light. In chapter 1, John tells us that in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. And this light shone in the darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it. In chapter 8, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Two weeks ago, Sam walked us through chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, where we read, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He came as light so we could see, to bring clarity, to show us what our sin really looks like to light the path that we have to walk. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, some of us older people who have been in the church a long time might be surprised that this comes from the Psalms and not from Amy Grant's 1984 album, Straight Ahead. But your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word And what's the word? Better yet, who is the word? Jesus. And it's not just a happy coincidence. John doesn't just happen to call Jesus the word. This has been the truth from before time began. God's word has always been Jesus. Remember, in the beginning was the word. And that word was life and was the light of men, sent to us to bring light to darkness, to bring clarity, to expose the ugliness of our sin, to be the light by which we read and make sense of Scripture. You might remember the account of two of Jesus' followers making their way to Emmaus after Jesus had been crucified. They were wrecked by the loss that they once, you know, they thought he was the Messiah, and now he probably wasn't because he was gone. And then Jesus, the light, shows up on the road and meets them and starts to bring some clarity. We read this in Luke 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all scripture. And then it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He had been hidden from them to this point. But he disappeared from their sight and they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining scriptures to us? 
He is the light by which we read Scripture. He brings clarity to God's Word. When we think through Jesus, the rest of Scripture makes sense. 700 years before the coming of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied about a light that was coming. When he wrote, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And in case you're wondering who that light might be, it goes on to say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we often read that passage during Advent, leading into Christmas, where we celebrate the good news of the light of Jesus coming into the world. We don't want to live in darkness. Actually, that's not true. We probably do want to live in darkness. No one can see what we're doing when it's dark. It's where we can hide our sin. It's where we can hide our shortcomings. But it's also where we find despair and loneliness And we just can't see as we should. Now, some of you may have had the experience of eating at a restaurant called Dark Table down on West 4th in Vancouver. For those of you who haven't, it's a restaurant in which you experience dining in complete and total darkness. You arrive, you order your meal in the light outside, and then when it's time to go in, you are led into the darkness by a visually impaired server to your table. Everybody's got hands on their shoulders and you follow each other into the darkness. Once you're seated, the server explains where everything is on your table, you know, your napkin, your cutlery. No phones are allowed, nothing that can produce light, flashlights. They'll even make you take off your Apple Watch or your Fitbit. And you sit there wondering if your date is listening to you or just eavesdropping all the people around you. Mine is always eavesdropping. Um, You're trying to guess what the couple next to you looks like, you know. Anyway, the food comes and you pick up your fork, but then you realize you also need to use your hands to find out what it is you're scooping onto your fork. Eventually, you abandon the fork, and you just start using your hands. And for some of you, this just sounds awful and gross. I love it. It's such a cool experience. I've been a few times. But what would it be like if all of a sudden, mid-shoving ravioli into your mouth with your hands, the lights came on? Well, first, Nikki would actually know what the couple who was complaining about their sister and their kids looked like. But then you'd look around, and you'd realize there's no decorations on the wall. There's food all over the table. There's food all over your face, on your shirt and your pants. There's food on the floor. None of the plates and cutlery match. There's no centerpieces. It turns out you've been eating SpaghettiOs and Wonder Bread. That's not true. The food's actually really good. And truthfully, I've never seen the place in the light, so I might be totally way off. But I don't know. The light changes things. In the same way, the light changes things. It changes what we see. It changes how we see. And it changes who we see. The light brings clarity for us to see Jesus and, as a result, the one who sent him. He came to be light so we wouldn't have to remain in the darkness. Verse 47, Jesus came to save and not to judge yet. Verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Judgment. It's a pretty negative-sounding word these days. Society says that we're not to judge anyone. And for the better part of the last three years, I've stayed completely 
out of any you know, political discussions on Facebook, Instagram, wherever. I've stayed out of it. I didn't post anything about COVID other than the time that I actually got COVID and lost my taste and smell and made a video of eating disgusting things like pickles and mustard and olives. And I'm already digressing. Sorry, I apologize. This is about, anyway, nearly three years of not commenting on things my friends and acquaintances would say, but a few weeks ago, I caved. Someone posted something that was just misleading, like completely false, and it was too much for me to bear. I should have known better. I actually did know better, but I judged with some judgy comments, and I felt better about things until other people's judgy comments started popping up in my notification, until I was suddenly judged for my judging. Even though I was right, someone had the nerve to disagree with me. How dare they? Judge not, lest you be judged, right? That's what we chant. They were wrong. And they, truthfully, they're still wrong. I'm still right, but that's not the point. No one wants to be judged. No one wants a judge. And even though that's true, it's actually not true. Because everybody wants a judge. Everyone wants someone to met out justice for the ways in which they think they've been wronged, whether in truth or perception. And it's not just for justice sake either. Everyone wants somebody to say, you did good, right? Everybody wants somebody to say, you're valuable, you're special. And if we're honest, just about everybody wants to be that judge or be the judge in that situation. You know, you do you. Don't worry about what anybody else says. You define good, you define success, you define whatever you think needs definition. And that works until someone else wants to define it in a way that you don't want it defined. What's the measure of truth? Today, it's just about whatever we want it to be. And nuts to anyone who says otherwise, right? Actually, anybody who says otherwise, not just forget about them. They should be shunned. They should be fined. They should be jailed. They should be canceled. But that's not the example that we're given in Jesus. And thanks be to God for that. But Jesus is the way, the truth to measure things by, and the life. He's the one through whom and for whom everything was created, the one who is the very word of God, the actual fulfillment of God's law. That Jesus, he says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save world. And like all the themes we're looking at today, this isn't a new idea. We read not that long ago, for God so loved the world, you don't even need to read this on the screen, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, condemn and judge, same Greek word, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come to judge, but to save But how can that be? Because if you've read the Bible, you know there's a lot of talk of judgment in there. And not just the Old Testament, where so many things seem like judgment. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, of Jesus, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
In the book of Acts, Peter is telling the Gentiles about Jesus, and he says this about Jesus, about the one who said he didn't come to judge. He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be what? Judge of the living and the dead. I labeled this point, Jesus came to save, not to judge, yet. And that yet is important because scripture seems clear that there is judgment coming. And that Jesus plays a pretty major part in it. I mean, we just read about the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus came into the world to save it. His teaching was pleading with people to turn from their sin, to come out of the darkness into the light before it's too late. Verse 48 of our passage says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And who or what is that judge? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago to judge the world, but he's going to. And how will he do that? Well, he told us how we ought to live. He told us how to live. He told us about the Father, about sin and hell and destruction, and one day we will have to stand and account for what we did with those words. Again, semantics are important here. Let's not forget, and I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here, but let's not forget that Jesus is the Word, God's word. And we're about to look at the fact that Jesus only speaks what and how God says, which means the word Jesus speaks are God's word, which is Jesus. Now, Lee has said this a number of times, as have many other preachers, but what we do with Jesus, how we respond to him, what we think of him, is the most important thing we can think the most important decision we can ever make. There isn't anything else that supersedes it, not political stance, child-rearing practice, vocation, education, relationships, investments, none of it. Jesus came to save, but he's coming again to judge. And what we do with him, with his words, with God's words, with God's word, again, a big old circle back to Jesus, what we do with him will be the basis on which we're judged. Jesus says, turn to me from your sin. Live in the light. Trust me. Trust the Father. Trust his word. Don't trust your works. Trust Jesus. Because when the judgment day comes, you want to be ready. And it's coming, right? We know this. None of us lives forever. Many of you are studying Revelation on Wednesdays and Fridays. And now that the Blue Jays are out, I've been rereading the Left Behind series. And I guess Lee can join in now that the Mariners got swept. But I've been reading Left Behind, and the rapture is going to come, and Nikolai Carpathia is going to take over the UN. It's going to be a whole thing. And that's not true. Don't, Don't read those books for study purposes. Jesus came to save us from judgment when it comes. And we don't know when that will be. So you have the opportunity now You see, God created us to be in a relationship with him, but sin, sin, you can go as far back as Adam and Eve, or you can just go back to this week when you were selfish, or you lied to someone. All of us, all of us turn to sin, to darkness. We choose not to live in the light as we should. Sin wrecked the relationship with God and put us on a trajectory toward judgment. Jesus came to us and told us how we should live, and those words will ultimately find us 
guilty for what it is that we've done with them. And the punishment for that, the Bible tells us, is death. It's hell. It's the opposite of heaven, the opposite of life, life that's in the immediate presence of God. But the good news is the Bible also tells us that though the judgment for sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life, which we're going to talk about in a second as well. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. In who? In Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's God's word, the word. The same word that will stand in judgment is what makes us possible or makes it possible for us to experience eternal life. The math, it's amazing because Jesus lived a perfect life, right? He came to show us how to live. He showed us how the father would live and he knew that no one would ever be able to follow his word perfectly and that would mean that we would all have to stand in judgment and die So he followed God's word perfectly. He is God's word. And he said, I will die in their place. I will take the punishment for their sin for the way that they did not receive my words. Many of you know the story. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, the father brought him back to life. And the Bible tells us that if we believe that he did this, and if we give him control of our lives, another way of saying if we receive his words and live them out, we will be saved. The reason that Jesus came to the world, to save. You're included in that. I am included in that. In the world. I don't want to make your head swell. And we try to downplay this sometimes, but the reality is Jesus came to save you. Like, I don't have enough fingers to point, but like you, me, He didn't come looking at us, at his people, saying, Ugh, you've sinned. Ugh, you're garbage. Judgment. His message isn't, there's no hope. You'll never be good enough. He says, hey, I can see where you've been, and I see where you're headed, and it's not good. Come to me. I'm not judgy. I'm not petty. I'm not going to heap shame on you. I know you haven't been living in the light, but you could be. I want you to be, because on top of eternal life, there's a better life for you to be living right now, this side of heaven. When we talk about being saved, about being a Christian, that's really, in essence, what we mean. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being better than anyone. It's not about being able to say we're righteous or to check a list of things we do and don't do. We're saved because we were headed for destruction. And now we're not. Because the judge, the words Jesus spoke, God's word, again, Jesus gave us a way to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus' own judgment seat with confidence because of what he did on the cross. Jesus came to save, not to judge, and not just yet anyway. So if you're someone who's hearing these words for the first time, or you're someone who's heard them before, but you've yet to actually receive Jesus' words, you're still in the darkness, as it were. Like, I'm not going to single you out or ask you to stand or anything like that, but I just want to plead with you, talk to the person you came here with today. Talk to me. Talk to someone from our staff, one of our prayer team who's down front, Uh, If you don't know who to talk to, stop by the Connect Desk. They will put you in contact with somebody. 
Don't leave this morning without processing this with someone. And if I was like a really good preacher, I would have left that to the very end and we could have done like an altar call and it would have been all great. But now I've actually covered most of the last two points. But we're going we're gonna to plod on through this. We'll sail through these. Fourthly, God sent Jesus to speak the Father's words. Verse 49, Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And at the end of verse 50, he says, What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Again, Jesus is talking to the Jewish people, right? The religious leaders. And he's reminding them that his authority, the words that he has spoken, the miracles that he's performed, they're not just the product of a human rabbi, just another Israelite. They are coming from God himself. And I will always find it interesting. The Old Testament said so much about what the Messiah would be like the deliverer Israel was longing for, and Jesus fit the bill perfectly. But partly, I get to see that now because I am seeing Scripture in the light that he brought into the darkness. And Israel was missing that. They missed the prophecies. Jesus said, The Father who has sent me has given me a commandment. In Deuteronomy 18, God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. That sounds a lot like our passage today. The word I have spoken will judge him on that day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. Again, not a new idea here in the Gospel of John either. Back in chapter 7, Jesus says, My teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether teaching is from God or whether I am speaking my own or on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And in John 8, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's talking here about the cross, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. These are God's own words They were sent by God the Father. The Word was sent to speak the very words of God on God's authority. Taking water from the river is taking water from its source. Jesus' words, his message, his life is the clarification, the fulfillment, the illumination of everything God has said through his Word up to this point. He came to speak God's Word, to be God's Word, with the desire that this clarity and this light would draw people to himself to save them from coming judgment and to give them life. And that's our last point. Jesus came to bring us life. Verse 50, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. And again, it's nothing new. We know this. Back in chapter 5 of John, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes them who has sent me, pardon me, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. Jesus came into the world not to judge, not to bring death, condemnation, but to save, to move his people from darkness to light, to guide his people from death to life. Instead of judgment, heaven, eternal life with God. And we can do some more math here, some more word math. Jesus came into the world as God's word, right? Also, you could say that as God's commandment, because God's commandment is words. And if he's God's commandment, and if God's commandment is eternal life, then one may conclude that Jesus himself is eternal life. He is the way, he said, the truth and the life. Back in John 1, or 1 John 1, not back, later in 1 John 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and what we observed and have touched with our hands. He's talking about Jesus. Concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. Where? In Jesus. And we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Look, He did not just come to bring us God's commandment, which is eternal life, though He did do that. He came as life, He is eternal life. How does He know that God's commandment is eternal life? Because he's God's commandment. He himself is eternal life. He didn't come to judge then, but to save, to bring eternal life. And there are some who like to dismiss this idea of eternal life, like deferred gratification, as some kind of pie-in-the-sky thinking. It's hopeful, it's blissful ignorance. But it's just not eternal life only that he came to bring us. And I know it's not in our passage directly, but it's still the truth. He came to give us life now. Coming as light in a dark world lets us see our folly, lets us see our sin. He lets us see the way that we're living our lives. And then notice that we are living them completely and totally out of whack. The things we hope for, right? Love, security, money, power, sex, these things will never bring us fulfillment. Pleasure, sure, but even that is subject to the law of diminishing returns, right? It's not going to give us fulfillment. But in John 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just in eternity, now, living in the light, not worrying about judgment. That sounds better than hiding in the dark, Drowning in guilt, worrying about what's to come. Jesus came to his people with this message so that they wouldn't have to live that way. He came so they would have life and have it abundantly, and he knew that this was possible because God's commandment, again, is life. And God's commandment, I know you're going to get so tired of this, but it's important for us to remember, God's commandment is his word, and his word is Jesus and this Jesus, this, the source of life, is crying out to us, please hear me before it's too late. Jesus is one with the Father. He is the light. He is salvation. He is the judge. He is the word. He is life. Don't 
miss this. And here's the truth. You're gonna. I'm gonna. So you're gonna hear this sermon again and again and again. And then we're gonna forget it again. But God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in steadfast love. If you heard this and you still don't understand, please, please come and talk to me. Talk to the person, I already said this, talk to the person who who brought you. Talk to somebody from our staff. Talk to somebody from our prayer team. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. Jesus didn't come to judge you right now in the moment. Right? Even though we're here 2,000-ish years later after he said this, he's still crying out through his word. And he's crying out to you and to all of us to receive his words and come and live in the light. And it's our prayer that we be able to do that. Let's pray together. God, we recognize that as simple as some of these things seem sometimes, as, I don't know, run-of-the-mill God, these things seem so obvious that they end up on a list of things that we don't celebrate. We just let them be what they are in the moment. And God, don't let us do that. Don't let us miss this. We want to live in the light as you are in the light. We want freedom. God, we thank you that that's what you provide. I just pray that you would help us by your spirit to hear your words to receive them, and to live them out in obedience to you. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.